And the rest of y'all, I'm going to ask to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for choosing to worship with us. Um, we are a church that believes in God's Word and the preaching of His Word. And um, we go verse by verse through different books of the Bible. And so if you did not bring your Bible with you, uh, reach forward, grab Grab one in front of you and turn turn with us to Romans, the book of Romans. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts and Romans. It's at the back of the book, towards the back of the Bible. And we're going to be in chapter 8 this morning, just walking through the text together, verses 31 through 39, talking about the Lord's love for us, the Lord's eternal love for His children. Last week, as I said uh, in, in Gary's testimony, we, we, we learned about how the Lord's love has been for eternity. That those uh, that He has called to Himself, He knew beforehand, and that He loves His people timelessly. And that everything that He does is in accordance with His good pleasure, His good purposes, uh, Lord, that nothing takes him by surprise, that he is the sovereign king and he works all things for good. Before that section, he talked about suffering and how you and I suffer still as his children, that we live in a broken, a fallen world, that we still battle our fleshly nature. And, and so putting this all together this morning, this climatic response of Paul's that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of suffering, we can still trust the Lord in His sovereignty for our good. And above all, folks, we can trust that He loves us. That our Creator loves us. And He has demonstrated that through the powerful work of Jesus Christ. And so look with me in verse 31 this morning. We're going to walk through the text again. Paul continues his argument. He says, what then? What then are we to say about these things? Paul has talked a lot about certain things. All right, we, we're in chapter 8. And he's talked about everything that God has done so far leading up to this point. In Christ, our justification. Right? In Christ, Christ, our adoption as His children. That in Christ, we have been regenerated. We have been made new. That in Christ, the Holy Spirit now dwells within us and powers us to live righteous lives. That in Christ, we have been predestined for eternity. That in Christ, there is a glorification that is awaiting each and every single one of us. And so when Paul says here, what then are we to say about these things? He's talking about all these truths that we have been dealing with for the last couple months. All of these promises that he has given us to hold on to in the midst of suffering. As you and I walk through this broken world, as we are bombarded with crazy, we have this truth that the Lord is still sovereign. He's still in control. He's still working all of His good for us. What then are we to say about these things? He continues. Here's, here's the thrust, right? If God is for us, who is against us? If the Lord, our, our sovereign Creator, is for you, then what can stand against you? Now, this is the first of four rhetorical questions he asks. 
if God is for us, who can be against us? And, and in any rhetorical question, there's always the implicit response of, well, nothing. All right? A rhetorical question. Who can stand against the Lord Almighty, church? Anyone? Anything? Who can stand against the Creator of the heavens and the earth? Can anything? Who can stand against Jesus Christ who rose from the dead? Who can stand against Jesus Christ who's coming back one day in the clouds to deliver His people to Himself? If God is for us, church, who can be against us? But we all live in this world and we're all weak. We're easily frustrated. Monday comes, Tuesday comes, and then something comes, right? Something comes in the middle of our week to discourage us. Someone or something comes against us, speaking untruth, speaking slander. Someone bumps into us. Someone punches us. Not physically, probably. But we are bombarded with the ills of this world, with the brokenness of this world. And sometimes we doubt, right? Sometimes we get so frustrated that we doubt this promise that the Lord is for us. And if He is for us, church, then nothing, nothing can stand against us. He, he continues in verse 32, He did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. So you see, we can get frustrated, we can get scared. And one of the things I always love about the Bible is how many times it just says, don't be afraid. Why? Because the Lord is for His people. So much so. What is the ultimate proof of the Lord being for us? That the Father sent the Son to die for us. Eric, that He loved you so much, He gave His Son for you. Jessica, that He loved you so much, He sent Jesus Christ for you. Carrie, He loved you so much, He sent Jesus to die for you. This is the heart of the Gospel, church, that the Father loves you so much that He was willing to give up His only Son. Now, I know Tuesday, some of you were like thinking, you know, about your kid and like, are they ready to get rid of that one? But that's not what's happening here, right? Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, in perfect existence with one another, sinless, unified, like we can't imagine. There, there was never a moment that the Father got upset with the Son and just kind of casually, snippetly said, you know, you go away from me. I, I don't want to have anything to do with you. The eternal love between and among, I guess, among the Trinity, for the Father to say, I love Frank so much. I love John so much that I'm willing to allow my son to die a horrible, slanderous, vicious death so that, Hector, you can become my kid. So that, Sean, you can become my kid. Folks, he did not spare his son Jesus Christ, but he gave him up for us all. If that's the case, he continues, how will he not also with him grant us everything? 
If that's the case, if, if the Father gave up His one and only Son, His perfect, sinless, loving, loved, beloved only Son, how will He not also with Him grant to us everything? That word grant, circle it, put a line on the margin. This is the word grace. How will the Lord not also just grace you and I? Now, we talk a lot about grace as evangelicals, right? And we are saved by what, church? Grace. So it's God's grace that saves us, past tense, past tense, right? That when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved, past tense, it's done, because of why? The grace of God. But Paul's saying here that that grace continues in the present tense. That grace isn't something just limited to your past decision to follow Jesus, the past work of Christ, but grace continues, church. In the present, in the future, God's grace abounds. It's not limited to the past, but it is here right now for each of us. So this week, in your weariness, there's grace. Amen? As you're tired, as you've been striving, as you come against another obstacle, as you're just bone-weary tired, right? There's grace in all things, in everything. That no matter what you and I are facing today, we're not facing it alone. We're not facing it in our own power. Whatever hardship, whatever obstacle, if it's mental, emotional, relational, if it's physical, it doesn't matter. Church, there is grace. Amen? And it's from Him. He grants it. He gives it freely is another translation. If that's the case, then number 33, verse 33, the second rhetorical question. If that's the case, here's the second rhetorical question. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? If God loves us so much that he was willing to spare his son, if God is presently and active in our daily life so much so that he is allowing giving free grace to every single recipient, then who can bring an accusation against us? Uh, one of your, if you guys are using a different translation, you might see the word who can bring a charge against us. This is a judicial term. It's referring to a court of law that someone would actually file a complaint, a lawsuit, and you would be dragged in front of a judge in front of a, in a, in a courtroom to stand trial. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Well, again, it's a rhetorical question. So the implicit response is, no one. No one. And yet, I don't know about you, right? But it feels like I get accused of a lot of things each and every week, right? That it's really hard for you and me to escape some kind of criticism, some kind of accusation, some kind of slander. And that's primarily because of two things. Number one, the world that we live in. We are told as Christians that this is not our world, but it is the world of someone else. That we are just migrants, 
passing through, foreigners, exiles, that we are here in this world, but we're not, what, of it, right? And so this world is not ours. This kingdom that you and I live in physically belongs to another king. In 1 John 2.17, John tells us the world with its lust is what? Passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. You and I walk in this world, it's broken, it's filthy, it's disgusting, it's perverted, it's upside down, it's sinful, it's wrong, it's crooked. I mean, just all these adjectives, right? But what does John say? Guess what, folks? It's passing away. It's not eternal. It's not forever. This world that you and I live in, live in, let's get back to the point. This world that slanders us, this world that accuses us. 1 Corinthians 7.31, Paul says something very similar. Those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for this world is current in its current form is currently passing away. It will not continue forever. All the accusations, all the untruths, all the slander will cease one day. Last one here, Second Peter three three five through seven. They um, they deliberately overlook this. By the world of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. That's talking about Genesis one. All right, the world was created. He continues though, Peter, through these the world of that time perished. How? When it was flooded, the great flood. And here he continues something new. By that same word, God speaking, God judging, by that same word, the present heavens and earth, right, as you and I know them, are what? They're stored up for fire being kept for the day of the judgment and and destruction of the ungodly. We know as believers that this world is not going to last, that there's going to be a final judgment on it, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and this world as you and I know it will be completely redeemed. That was part of two sermons ago. The world itself is groaning for this day. What's your point, Scott? The world. The world is the source of these accusations. Who can accuse us? Who can bring charges for us? The first entity is this world who's constantly waging its own war against God's people. Okay? Uh, let's just use a, a fancy, uh, you know, common word right now, cultural word, ready? Woke, wokeism, cancel culture, right? Everything's canceled upside down. What's canceled most? Truth. Just truth. That we're, we're, it's, it's, you know, there's fear to say truth because you will be accused of being a bigot, of being a blank phobe. I mean, just pick, pick your word choice. And, 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 and so Christians, my brothers and sisters, right? We live in this world where the accusations come freely against God's people. And listen, we're hesitant to say, we're hesitant to speak, we're hesitant to evangelize because let's be honest, we're scared that they're going to come more freely. That they're going to come faster, 
that there's going to be retribution for our jobs? Listen, that there's going to be retribution for relationships, family. Anyone in the room dealt with the issue of being canceled by a family member for God's truth? Friends? Co-workers? Neighbors? The world is active in this category of accusation. Why? Because this world is ruled by whom? Satan, the devil. So let's just talk about Satan. What's his name mean? Satan, Satan. Enemy. Adversary. We have an adversary. And what does this adversary do? He slanders. He accuses. The word devil, diablos, literally means slander. This is what he does. This is what he's about. Slanders God's truth. And listen, slanders God's messengers of truth. And so who can condemn us? All right. Behind this question is the devil, the world. And Paul says what? Neither. Neither have the authority to do this. Revelation 12, 10 through 11, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, what? The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and what? The authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser, it's another name for Satan, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. Amen? Listen, they what? Conquered him? How? How do we conquer Satan's deceit? How do we conquer his accusations? How do we conquer his slander? Through, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We, we covered this, you know, like in Revelation, right? A lot. Through the gospel, through our proclamation of it. And look, the gospel, you know, I'm always talking about this, okay? The gospel is not just for that moment when you said a prayer at seven years old. The gospel is always an issue because Satan is going to constantly accuse you your whole life. And what, and how do we conquer Satan's accusations? It's by preaching the gospel over and over and over again to ourselves. For folks, like the world out there is lost and it needs the gospel. We can all nod our heads to that. But guess what? We all need the gospel still as well. We need the gospel because the world is constantly accusing us. But how do we conquer these accusations? Through the gospel. Remembering the blood of Christ and his work by preaching this truth to ourselves over and over again. Isaiah 59, in truth, the Lord God will help me. You believe that? In truth, the Lord God will help me. Who will condemn me? Indeed, all of them will wear out like a garment. A moth will devour them. Folks, who stands with any, any sense of authority to condemn us? No one. 
those who condemn Satan, the world, will wear out just like a garment eaten by moths. And so this leads us to the next point. Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? The third rhetorical question, verse 34, who condemns us? Right before it says, God is the one who justifies. Who then, who then can condemn us? It's not just the accusations that are hurled our way, but it's this false condemnation that seeks to destroy us. But look at the answer. It precedes verse 34. God is the one who justifies. That any accusation that comes our way, any fear of condemnation that comes our way, is nulled, is voided in the truth that God is the one who justifies. Now, that's a big fancy word, right? How many of you walked around today at work and or this week and used the word justify? We don't use that at work, right? Who justifies? We went through this, you know, throughout the first seven chapters, I guess. So another uh, way of saying this is God is the one who acquits. We go in a court of law. There's a judge. You're guilty. Everyone in the courtroom knows it. You know it. And yet, what happens? For some strange act of mercy, the judge rules. You know, gavel goes down, makes a declaration, and he says instead, you have been acquitted. You get to go free. You have been justified. You have been declared not guilty. Not because of anything you did, right, church? but because of the work of Christ. That when the devil comes and accuses, when the devil comes and tries to condemn, we have this truth that there is only one who justifies, and that is the Lord Jesus because of his work for us. Paul goes into this next. Christ Jesus is the one who died. How are we justified? Why are we justified? Through the work of Christ, his threefold ministry, here we go, He's the one who died. Even more, he has been raised. And number three, he now intercedes for us. What is Christ's threefold ministry? His death, his resurrection, his ongoing intercession. So, number one, his death. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross died for sinners. Paul said the Father did not spare his son. He gave him up. What does that mean? He didn't just like kick him out of the house, hand him over in a trade of sorts. Instead, the Lord Jesus on the cross took upon himself all of the wrath of God that you and I deserved. He took upon himself all of our sin. He took upon himself all of our shame, all of our guilt. Our Lord Jesus Christ did that in order to expunge sin, in order to make atonement for our sin. Jesus Christ became the substitute for us. What you and I deserved, we didn't get. Instead, the the, the judge says, you're acquitted, you're free to go, but there was one who paid the price for our sin, and that was Christ. He took upon himself the full measure of the wrath of God that sinful men and women deserve. He took that upon himself. He took it off of your shoulders. He put it on his. But that's not it. 
Okay, he clears us, he cleans us, he purifies us, but that's not it. He didn't just forgive us and say, cool, good job, we'll see you later. He didn't leave us, you know, clean us all up, polish us up, and just say, okay, keep trying, try to stay clean now. You guys tracking with us? Number two, he was raised from the dead. He didn't just take our sin, but he also rose from the dead doing what? Empowering us to live holy lives now. Empowering us to live that life that God always wanted us to live. He didn't just forgive us and clean us up, but guess what? He also gave us the power to walk daily now in righteousness. Not to turn back to our sinful behavior, not to turn back to our selfishness, but to live exactly like he wanted man and woman to live way back when in the Garden of Eden. And so the second point is that he has been raised in resurrection power. He popped up up from the ground. Two things meaning we now have life. Guess what? The second thing, we are now going to have life. That there is life available for us right now as we walk this world and it's going to come to a culmination when we get to heaven and we live life to its fullest for eternity. Number one, number two, and number three. Meanwhile, as we walk this world, as we stumble and bumble, as we are oppressed, persecuted, as we suffer, church, we have this truth that the Lord Jesus intercedes on behalf of us. That he hasn't abandoned us, but he walks with us, and he is constantly talking to the Father for us. That he is working behind the scenes, again, according to all of his plans and purposes. Here's the question. Sounds good. Here's the question. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Here's another question. Will you believe it? So let's say Thursday comes, four days from now, right? And smack. Here comes another obstacle. Smack. Here comes another slander. Here comes another accusation. You stumble into sin once again, and you start beating yourself up and condemning yourself. The adversary starts accusing you. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. What do you do? You start what? Trying to work harder, gain approval, pay back what what you think you owe to God? Or do you remember the gospel? Or do you proclaim the gospel? Church, what is the gospel? He died for us. He rose for us. He intercedes for us. This is what we put our faith in. Why? Because we've already been justified. There is now no condemnation for those who are in what? Christ Jesus. See, see, he's just finishing up his argument. That's verse 1 of chapter 8, if you didn't know it, right? Chapter 8, verse 1, the first part of this chapter. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Will you believe that? If you've been beating yourself up this week, will you turn to Christ and will you receive his forgiveness? Will you receive his truth once again? That those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus are acquitted, are pardoned, are set free.
Here's the fourth rhetorical question. Third rhetorical. No, where are we at? Fourth rhetorical question. Ready? Verse 35. All right, with all that said so far, here's how he lands the plane. Who can separate us from the love of Christ then? So if he's acquitted us, if he's forgiven us, then who can separate us from the love of God? Now, let me let me clarify a little bit real quick here. That word us is referring to a specific group of people, okay? That word us is referring to the church in Rome. That word us is referring to God's people, his church, who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to be real clear here this morning. If you stumbled in here and you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what the Bible teaches is you have not been acquitted. You have not been forgiven. But the good news, there is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ that you can turn to him this morning, that you can trust that he died for you, that he rose for you, and that he can now intercede for you. That there is freedom, that there is forgiveness, that that weight of shame, that guilt, that embarrassment can be taken away, and that you can stand before the Creator once again in perfect union, perfect fellowship. That you could become part of the us and yourself can say, who can separate us from the love of Christ? If you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to encourage you to do that today. To test Him. To step out and test Him that these promises are true. That in Christ there is no one who can come against you. In Christ there is no accusation that can ever be hurled against you. In Christ you can never, ever be condemned. And in Christ, you will always be loved. Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Church, can affliction do that? Say it, can it? Can distress? What about persecution? Those three things right there, we don't see a whole lot of them, I think, you know, persecution at least. But affliction, distress, sure. Anxiety, stress, sure. Affliction, maybe, physically, mentally, emotionally. Persecution, not so much for us, our brothers and sisters around the world, yes, amen. Persecution, maybe, yes, if we step up and we we vocalize God's truth at work and pay for it, maybe. You know, maybe if you show up at the, the council meeting for the church, I'm sorry, for the school board meeting, and you actually get up behind behind the mic and say something, Yeah, I bet you what? You know, I bet you can feel some persecution there. Who can separate us from the love of Christ, though? Famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Those are extremes. But the Lord in no way says, hey, you're guaranteed as Americans to avoid these three things. There might come a time where we see them, we experience them. Again, as our brothers and sisters around the world do. Here he says, as it is written, because of you, who's the you? This is Jesus. Because of Christ, the church, we, the us, are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. This is from a psalm. But in uh, Paul's day, this is what was happening to the church. Those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
were doing so in such a way as to not spare themselves. So, so the father spares, doesn't spare the son. And guess what? The, the response for, for followers of Christ is to live in such a way where they're not sparing their own lives. But they believe this, that in spite of physical harm, there's nothing that can separate them from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Knowing all these things, he continues, verse 37, knowing all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In spite of what the world hurls at us, in spite of what Satan hurls our way, to live in Christ means to be more than conquerors. What does that mean? I don't think we understand what it means. I don't think we can comprehend fully what it means. Yesterday, I put the coaching hat back on. I'm coaching 10 and 11-year-olds again, Mia's team. And the first game out the gate, we have to go against the Rebels again. And the Rebels always beat us last year and the year before. The Rebels are like the team, right? So I'm going in there. I got a new bunch of kids. We beat them. 33 to 11. No, 33 to 11, 10 and 11 year olds. That's a substantial beating. Okay. And it felt good. Right. And, and in that sense, we were more than conquerors, right? It wasn't a close game. You know, I've, I've, I've been to a, a, I was at a Grand Canyon game last year and they beat them. They, they hit over a hundred points in one game. That was a substantial beating. But what Paul is talking about here is I, I don't think we have the bandwidth to comprehend. When, when we get to glory, when the last judgment occurs, it's going to be like zero to infinity, right? All these punches that we thought we received from the devil are going to be like minuscule compared to Jesus's ultimate takedown. Where Satan, the prophet, thrown in the lake of fire, Antichrist thrown there, and, and just everyone shuffled in as well. Folks, we do not understand the depths of these words, but one day we will see them. We will experience the depth of these words that we are more than conquerors. Now, lest you get a little confused, we are more than conquerors. How? Through What? Through who? Through Him who loved us. Like So Christianity doesn't teach like, okay, the judge has ruled and now you have the power and so go conquer Satan and you know go strive and fight and battle. The, the battle is His. We are more than conquerors. How? When we abide in Him. When we rest in Him. When we seek Him. Amen? It, it's not Lone Star or, you know, on your own pioneering it's as we are in him he conquers he comes through for i am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord folks to sum this up there is nothing There is nothing that can separate us from the love of the Lord. Amen? 
Now, we're, we're going to experience hardship this week. I guarantee it. You're going to be frustrated this week. I guarantee it. But the question is, will you believe this? It's one thing to sit in church, you know, and have air condition and everyone loves each other and, you know, we're, we're pretty loving church, you know, and no one's th- looking over and threatening you or, you know, you didn't get a comment from someone in the foyer before you walked in. So it's, a, it's one thing to hear these truths and just receive them, receive them as theoretical, right? It's another thing come Wednesday when, when Satan gets in your grill again. It's another thing when your boss makes another stupid comment to you, right? Or someone makes a snippety slanderous accusation on Friday. It's another thing on Thursday night when you're accusing yourself again. Folks, the real question is, are you truly persuaded like Paul is in such a way that when it comes, you'll still trust him? That when the next point of hurt comes, that you will trust him and trust that he loves you. Brothers and sisters, does Jesus love you? Yes. This, this week, will you trust in the love of Christ? Will you bow with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that, Lord, I just personally thank you. I don't need to, uh, embellish your word. Maybe that story about the basketball game, but, but for the most part, Lord, for all, for all of it, Your Word does the work. Your Word is enough. That You've given us Your Word, Your promises. And Lord, You are faithful. You are true. And Lord, when You speak, those words mean something. Lord, as You spoke creation into existence, You also spoke these words with the same power. And Lord, that we can have confidence this morning that these words are absolutely 100% true. That no matter what comes our way, You love us. That no matter what comes our way, You hold us in the center of Your hand. No matter what comes our way, You are working all things for our good. That no matter what comes against us this week, Lord, You are working for Your glory. Lord, no matter how momentary our afflictions are, in eternity we will know Your joy, Your peace, Your glory forever. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. I pray that You would increase their faith. I pray for those who are hurting, they're suffering, those who have lots of questions right now, those who are making decisions. Lord, I pray for Your grace. Pray for Your wisdom. Pray for your presence to be made known to them this week. Lord, for anyone who came in this morning not having a relationship with you, Lord, not knowing you, maybe hearing this gospel news for the first time, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, Holy Spirit, that you would work in their mind and heart to see Christ in all of his glory. 
Lord, to see these truths as necessary, to see their own weakness and their own neediness, and to in faith turn to you this morning and trust you for salvation. Lord, we give you glory. We give you praise because you are worthy of all of it. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.